0: Welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at Christchurchws.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Please remain standing and pray with me. Lord Jesus, we celebrate that you live and reign as king of the universe. Lord, I pray that you tonight in the power of your resurrection would breathe upon us, especially us dry bones, and make us stand up, an army full of the Spirit of God. Lord, come and be upon me, the pastor and preacher of your word. I ask in Jesus' name that you would give me a tongue to preach this evening. to to tell abroad the glories of Your name. And I pray, Lord God, that You would quicken all of our hearts by the hearing of Your Word and the power of Your Holy Spirit and the grace of Your resurrection to receive good news tonight. And may it transform us. And may You, Lord Jesus Christ, receive glory, honor, and praise. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah! Christ is risen! The Lord is risen indeed! Hallelujah. Well, folks, um, this is the 31st year, the 31st preaching of the Lord's resurrection on Easter. I preached for 31 Easters now. That is a lot longer than some of you have been alive in this room tonight. And I love doing it, but you know what? It is hard to find something new and fresh to tell y'all after 31 years. That's a challenge. And yet, however, as I read Matthew, the Matthew text again this year, the Lord did impress me with something new. It's something I'd never really even thought about before, something in the resurrection account that I'd never focused on. And it's right here in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what it says. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, before I go any further, I was surprised as I was studying this week to see that several commentators say that these two verses represent one of those contradictions between the resurrection accounts in the four Gospels, and they said something like this, well... Well, it says there, especially in verse 3, it it says that the women saw the angel come down. They saw that angel come down from heaven and roll the stone away, and the soldiers pass out, and that didn't happen in Mark and Luke and John, so there. Well, no, actually, the passage never says the women saw that. It doesn't say that at all. It says those things happened, and the, the women came upon the result. You have to be... Intentionally obtuse. That's your word for the evening. Obtuse. Don't be obtuse. You have to be intentionally obtuse to read it that way, the way that those commentators did, in my humble opinion. Because you see, listen, I don't think that there are contradictions in the resurrection accounts. I think there's chaos in the resurrection accounts. Look, you, this is what's going on. You have the most important event. In human history, Jesus conquering sin, death, and hell by rising from the grave, and you have weary and fearful human beings thrust into that event. And the result of their multiple experiences, in fact, the the, the result of those experiences, those multiplied experiences, is the expected jumble that comes from something so completely unexpected and out of context that your brain just doesn't have a category for it. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, for Easter, Easter lunch is, I hope it's a big production at your house. Uh, it's a big production at your, my house. You don't eat meat? Okay, we'll eat lamb. No, uh, but, but Lisa, among other things, is making gravlocks. Now, I thought that was gravels, but no, gravlocks. She is making gravlocks as one of the courses for Easter lunch tomorrow. It's all for me. You can't come. <laughs> what is that? Well, it is. it's cured salmon, and you take dill and salt and other spices, and you put those spices on the salmon, and you set it in the refrigerator in a cool place, and it'll cure out. And it'll it'll actually cook it. It'll cook that salmon by the chemical reactions of those things. And in order to make these um she had uh, she she had done a few things. I she I'd come in uh, last night after Friday night service, holy holy uh, on a Good Friday service. I came in and I opened the refrigerator because I was hungry. We had been fasting. I was hungry, and there in the refrigerator was an oblong cast-iron pot, all right? It's actually one of those fancy French ones that's got the enamel on it, but it's still a cast-iron pot, lying on top of the tray with the salmon in it to press out the moisture. And to add extra weight, she'd put some cans of like Rotel or something like that in there, but she needed more weight. And so she got, there was this box in that cast-iron pot. It was a box, it was red and black and white, it was a pretty little box. And I'm thinking, I wonder what kind of food item is in that box. And so I just shut the door of the refrigerator and went on my merry way. And when Lisa got home, she came home a little bit after me. She had laid it out to check on her grab locks. And, and here's what that box was. Now, you need to know this about me. Uh, my whole life, I've been involved in the shooting sports. I was a North Carolina wildlife hunter safety instructor. I ran a rifle range and a shotgun range in my, in my early twenties. I'm a, uh, I'm, I've shot a few firearms. And so I have, I have those kind of things locked up in my house. And that box, it turns out, was a box of my ammunition. <laughs> there was bullets in the refrigerator. Now, I didn't see bullets in the refrigerator when I opened it up because it was not the context in which one sees bullets. Even in the South, you don't put bullets in the refrigerator. You do. Yes, you do now. You, don't, you put ammo locked up in the ammo box, not ammo in the ice box. All right. Now, here's the point of that story. You don't go you don't go to the graveyard nobody goes to the graveyard expecting to see angels nobody expects to see angels and certainly certainly nobody goes to the graveyard where you have and an, to ex, expecting to find a manifestly healthy living human being where you just left a Roman military certified 100% dead grade A corpse just a couple of days ago there is no context for it. Confusion is the best possible outcome. Terror is even more likely. And I can just hear the first witnesses of the resurrection tell what happened, and we're talking over one another and elbowing each other in that chaos saying, you you left that part out. Oh, and then that happened to Mary Magdalene. And, and then this happened to to John and Owen, that happened to Peter. We've seen the Lord. It's the chaos of unexpected great news. It's not a contradiction. But that's not what I was going to preach about tonight. (laughs) This is where I meant to go. Here's what I never really focused on before. I want you to go back to that thing that we just read, those first two verses. And behold, there was a second verse here. Behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it, and sat on it. What is that angel doing? Is he standing at attention? Has he adopted the posture of an orator in order to address these women coming to the tomb? No, he is just laid back sitting on the top of that great big tombstone that he just rolled away, and I can just see him kicking his heels against the side of that tombstone. Now, what kind of posture is that? It is the posture of someone taking their ease. It is a posture of nonchalance. It's a posture that breezily says, here you find us sitting on a field of victory amid the plunder of armies, leisurely enjoying the spoils. This is a messenger taking his ease after a mighty fray. His captain, on his own, as the champion of heaven and earth, has against all odds won a mighty battle and has routed the enemy. And as a result, this messenger's, this messenger's greeting is full of the risus pascalis, the laughter of Easter. The laughter of Easter. In spite of the gravity of the news that he bears, do not be afraid. For I know what I know that you came seeking Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's not here. He is risen as he said. Come see the place where He lay. Now here's the question for us. Why aren't we who have been shouting the Easter Alleluia now for 2,000 years as confident in Christ's victory as this angel? This angel is a lot of things, but he is not worried. He looks like a lightning bolt, but he is not worried. Does that angel sitting there all laid back on that tombstone look worried to you? Does that look like an anxious angel? No. You know, we worry about big stuff and little stuff when we should be sitting with this angel atop the ruins of the great rubble heap of the gates of hell with bottles and bowls and platters laid beside us as if we had just eaten well and now rested from our labor with crossed legs and arms behind our heads. And yet I still worry about stuff, like, um, like the increasing hostility of government and the academy and big business to the Christian faith. But Jesus is alive. He's risen. So why would I worry about that as if we're doomed? Look, Rome... The most powerful government in the world has just gone out of its way to eliminate Jesus. They put Him in a tomb, and they did their best to make sure that He stayed there. Listen to what it said back in just the previous chapter, right before these verses, Matthew 27, verses 65 and 66. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and secured the tomb by setting a seal upon it, not ooh ooh oop. No, that, not that kind of seal. Ooh, secured by a seal. I'm sorry. I could just see that seal sitting on top of that tomb. None shall pass. We haven't even gotten to the wine yet tonight. <laughs> no, no, it says, they set a seal upon, the, the, upon it as well as by placing a guard. So that's right. Pilate sent a detachment from the most powerful military of the most powerful government in the world, charged with keeping the dead in and keeping the living out of that tomb. But that's not all. They put an official government seal on that tomb. And as Jesus, after His death, descends among the dead to plunder Hades, I'm sure He's thinking this, Oh, I can't rise from the dead now. This tomb has an official Roman seal on it. The government says I'm not allowed to be alive. Ooh, a bureaucrat told me I couldn't do it. What will I do now? No, that never happened. Empires and kings and governments and ideologies are strewn like fallen armies on the field of battle, and God's church continues to ch- shout triumphant over her foes, Hallelujah! Christ is risen! He is risen indeed! Hallelujah! So why am I worried about secularism and the anti-Jesus hostility of Silicon Valley or Washington or Raleigh, North Carolina? I worry about stuff, though. I worry about the rise of the nuns. No, not the N-U-Ns, the n-o-n-e-s's, the religiously unaffiliated. I worry about the rise of unbelief among the millennial generation and Generation Z. I worry about the fact that the good news about Jesus is being rejected, and I don't know what to do about it. I worry about the effectiveness and the persuasiveness of evangelism. But, beloved, God's victory of the resurrection occurred, listen, when no one believed Jesus was who He says He was. The religious authorities didn't believe in Him. Rome just didn't care and acted to rid themselves of this nuisance like swatting a fly. The cowardly male disciples didn't believe. The beloved disciple didn't believe. Peter just flat out denied him three times. The faithful women, those faithful myrrh-bearing disciples that came to the tomb didn't believe. And in the midst of universal and unassailable unbelief, Jesus just up and kills death all by himself and burst from the tomb. You see, brothers and sisters, God is... All right, I've let Calvin into my heart tonight. God is sovereign. God is sovereign, and His plans and purposes are not thwarted, determined, or even the slightest bit influenced by human unbelief. So the numbers of the religiously unaffiliated are rising... US church membership is declining, people don't believe. You mean like just about no. Just like everybody else. On that first Easter Sunday, is that what you mean? And has that stopped him? Not in the least. So plop down on that tombstone and lean back with that angel and kick your feet and draw, you know that dead guy you came looking for? He's not here. He's alive like he said and he's out there wreaking havoc on all your other false assumptions as well. And oh yeah, now that he's trampled down death by death, he's breaking all the devil's other toys too. Nothing is going to stop him now. But I worry about stuff. Stuff like death. And not just your death. I'm particularly worried about my death. Well, that angel says to me and he says to you, Jesus, Jesus is risen. You want to come in and see where it happened? (laughs) Death is a has-been. Death is a big old rattlesnake that just got its fangs ripped out by Jesus. It can rattle and try to scare you, but it ain't got any bite anymore. Now get off your... (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what. Get your head out of your assumptions, says that angel, and go out there and start telling and living the truth of God's victory. So stand up, church. Let's do that right now. Let's start that right now. Some of you know what's about to happen, and for some of you, this is totally strange and new. We're about to declare that victory, the victory of our risen Lord Jesus, the victory that makes angels lay back on tombstones and kick their heels and say, hey, you want to come see the grave clothes? And we're going to do that with the words of St. John Chrysostom, preached 1,600 years ago. And now when I point to you, you just repeat exactly what I just said. So here's what he says. The table is full. Let everyone fare sumptuously. The calf is fatted. Let no one go away hungry. Everyone savor the banquet of faith. Relish the riches of his goodness. No one need lament their poverty, for the kingdom belongs to us all. No one need grieve over sins. Forgiveness has dawned from the tomb. No one need fear death. The Savior's death has freed us from it. Death played the master, but Jesus mastered death. He plundered Hades as he descended into it. It was angered when it tasted his flesh. And foreseeing this, Isaiah proclaimed anger. uh, uh, Hades, he said, was angered when he met you below. It was angered. It was angered. Because it was abolished. It was angered. It was angered. Because it was mocked. It was angered. It was angered. Because it was slain. It was angered. It was angered. Because it was shackled. Death swallowed a body and met God face to face. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took what is seen and fell upon what is unseen. Oh death, where is your sting? O oh, grave, where is your victory? Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And you are overthrown. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And demons have fallen. Christ is risen. And angels rejoice, Christ is risen, Christ is risen. and life rules. Christ is, risen. Christ is risen, and not one dead remains in the tomb. For Christ, having risen from the dead, has become the firstfruits of those that slept. To Him be glory and power and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at Christchurchws.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.